uh, man, it's these past six months, um, uh, and the past week even, um, I knew this was true about our Hillcrest Church family. I've been able to see it more fully, uh, just our Hillcrest Church family's generosity in the way people showed up uh, for that space outside, in the way... Uh, your generosity has manifested itself over the past six months for the good of our church family, so thank you. I knew this to be true, and it's been a, an encouragement just to see from the elders and myself. And so as we jump in this morning, um, I want to start with just a, a little introduction about, about maybe where we've been, that we have some language that we want to capture who we are, that we want to be a people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time, and uh, that it's about a who, that we as a community, a people, are giving our lives, are helping, are going, not going as witnesses, but just being who we are, wherever we are at, helping people. And the primary place we believe that help is found is helping people find life with Jesus. And sometimes that's hard to get our hands around, and so quantifying that, one life at a time. And, and finding a logo that helps capture that. That at the center of that people, there is a Hillcrest Bible Church family. There is an H at the center of this logo. At the end of the day, it's just a logo. But the symbolism behind it, that there is a church family, Hillcrest Bible Church, that H with two arrows going out from that H, uh, reflecting an inside-out methodology that the church gathers on a Sunday. We've done that virtually, and we continue to go and live our lives Monday through Saturday, both to our homes and neighborhoods, neighborhoods, <laughs> and then also potentially to our worlds. For those of you joining us at home, still in your pajamas and coffee, we are so glad you're here with us and, and being here in person. I'm surprised Rick isn't in his pajamas sipping his coffee, thinking this is just how we do church now going forward. But how's that get represented, that H flowing to the inside out? We believe it's predicated on this conviction, that there is a God who's chosen to reveal himself through his word. What does that primary helping look like? It looks like anchoring ourselves and pointing people to God's revealed very words. And this week, we're charting. We got to hear from Paul last year. We're looking into a letter from a guy named Peter that God actually inspired the very words that we get to read. And here's the hope that we're a community, not just hearing those words, but actually increasingly becoming the type of people that pursue and anchor our lives there. So what does that mean we are? What do we become? You've heard this illustration before, and I had to leave the picture because it's a cruise ship and a, I looked up battleship, but then Steve Pulley goes, David, that's not a battleship, that's an aircraft carrier, but I had to keep it. But it feels like sometimes we get caught up in this distinction where we live this cruise ship Christianity, and the questions we ask ourselves is, do I like that? We begin evaluating church family in the same way we evaluate anything. And, and consumerism is the air we breathe, it's the water we swim in, right? And we begin evaluating church family in the way that, did I like that? What did I get out of it? Was I fed? Am I comfortable? 
Here's our hope as we increasingly hang together as a community, we begin having more of a battleship mentality where we ask, is the mission right? Am I, am I part of seeing that mission accomplished in my sphere of influence? And does it feel like those ministry leaders actually believe there is a God that they're hearing from and taking orders from? They're actually listening to God's voice? And do I have some way to significantly contribute? Because rather than feeling like I'm here to feed you, on some level, I actually hope you leave hungry. That instead of asking, well, am I, did I get fed today? My hope is as we experience God through his word, we actually leave hungry to see his work continue for the rest of the week. We actually leave hungry, wanting to see more of him revealed everywhere we go. And so we're jumping into 1 Peter to see that happen more fully. Are you guys ready to get into the text? Oh man, Jill, I have missed just digging into the text because the summer we did a more of a theological exploration. We looked at some theological ideas, and now as we jump into the fall, it's going to be a little bit more expository as we dig in to 1 Peter together. And so here's a picture that I feel like helps us get in. This is, this is me on a trip to San Fran, and, and I would what you call directionally challenged. I'm, I'm a guy that is so glad these things have been invented where I can just plug in Google Maps, and it's going to take me wherever I need to go. So we're standing. We are lost in, like, San Francisco. I mean, those rail car systems, it's just an absolute nightmare. And so I'm over here trying to navigate with some of our people where we're supposed to go. It was an absolute train wreck of directions, and who knows? I could have been holding that thing upside down for all I know. I don't know. But here's where Peter's taking us. Here's what we need. Peter's going to talk about being, being travelers in this world. And he's writing a letter as a travel guide for how we ought to live. So here's where he starts his letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So as we jump into Peter's letter to us, here's what Peter's doing. I think he's giving us a travel guide to wake us up. He's given us a travel guide in this letter to wake us up and help us maximize our joy in this journey of life. That he actually is going to, in these two first verses, provide a foundation. And if we understand and embrace some of these truths he's sharing with us from the get-go, I think it actually enables our life to count. So he's going to give us this travel guide as we journey through this life. So welcome to the journey through 1 Peter. Pray with me as we get into the text this morning. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, the gift to be back in community, uh, to be in, in relationship with other people that are anchoring our lives in your word and wanting to find our significance and satisfaction in you. So reveal yourself this morning as we, as we explore the words of Peter, your words written through Peter. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So here is the opening to his letter, this travel guide for how we ought to live. Here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We're hearing this letter from Peter. And Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of those inner three guys that they got to walk and talk with this guy. And I'm going to do that this whole morning. This thing's been like hot. Every time I click it once, it like fires through. Darren's like, David, you don't need to give us the side commentary. That's what you're thinking, Darren. But the side commentary had so much flavor, doesn't it, Darren? So this thing's been so hot. It was so hot first service. So we're flying through. So if I catch it, maybe one of you guys flag me down. Is that all right? So who's Peter? Peter, one of the inner three, and he was a fisherman. And I'm a fly fisherman, so I love fishing. And I have those cute little flies, and I got my cute little waders, and, you know, and I'm out there. Some guys, when they're jigging for bass, they got their little fishing rod. Don't picture that as Peter. Peter's this rugged guy. I mean, you know those guys that hold your hand, and it's like a vice grip, and they're even trying to hold it gently? Peter's just this rugged guy. He's out there steering a wooden boat in lakes, throwing heavy, heavy nets. This guy is salt of the earth. This guy is just a rugged, he's not that religious, tuck your coattails in, he stains his cloak, you know, he's no big deal, because he's just salt of the earth, Peter. And we love Peter for these very reasons, that he just kind of every once in a while would always be the one willing to go first. He would always be the one willing to share his heart, whatever was on his mind. And I can imagine Peter sharing with his wife. He was married. Hey, there's this prophet guy that has just shared some cool stuff. I'm going to go follow him. I would wonder what that conversation looked like with his wife. But Peter then continues. He's the one that gets out of the boat and wants to walk on water with Jesus. For a little while, he does. He's the guy that bursts out with deep confidence Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he is the first to always jump into any situation. And then we also see him at that very end telling Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And then he denies Jesus three times. But Jesus reconciles later, we see. And I love the note that John includes at the end of the book. He says, Peter was the second one to get to the tomb. So I can imagine John and Peter running to the tomb, racing to the tomb. And what does John want to include? Of all the details to include, he includes that Peter was the second to the tomb. And Peter's writing to us, to a community, and he's watching his fellow disciples being martyred. And he's writing at a time when Nero, around the time, Nero is literally setting fire to Rome. Rome is burning. And around this time, Nero is blaming the Christians for Rome burning. And so Peter is sitting watching these circumstances take place. And he begins thinking, what's the best thing I can do? What are the things that I could write to encourage and inspire those that are still following Jesus? And so he writes this letter in a very precarious time in the first century to to people who need a travel guide on how to maximize their joy in the journey of this life. And so here is where Peter starts this 
letter. He starts by telling us we're travelers. He's going to open this letter and tell his audience, you are travelers in this world. Here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to a group of people that have now flooded into what is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to these people now that have been exiled from their place. Here's the question. From what have they been exiled? What does he mean that he's writing to these exiles? I think, one, you could say they've literally been exiled from their land. That could be one, that these are Jews that have been literally exiled from their land. But I think he has something else instead. It's this figurative use of exiles. Because exiles are not at home in their country. It's a sweet picture of Casey and I. Does anybody recognize where that's from? Buckingham Palace. Yeah. And who's that sweet, beautiful girl I'm with? Oh, man, what a gem. But it feels like there's three postures that we could enter in this life. One is as a tourist, as a vacationer. How do vacationers live? Vacationers don't actually get invested in their, in the, in their sphere of influence, right? If there's political unrest, they're not worried about it. They're just here for a good time, right? To have some fish and chips, enjoy the scenery, and go back home. What's another way that some people could enter into another country? They could be an immigrant. They could actually be seeking citizenship. So they're not vacationing there. They're actually wanting to get embedded in that country. They're actually wanting to get invested to learn the language, the customs, the cultures. They actually want to become part of that world. But Peter is writing to whom? He's not writing to people on vacation. He's not writing to people who are wanting to actually immigrate and become citizens. Instead, he says, I'm writing to exiles. So in what way are they exiles? Where are they exiles from? He's saying your home is actually beyond this life. You actually have a home in another place, and it's not this. You actually have a different king and a different constitution. You kind of heard there's like a big deal on the Supreme Court going on right now. <laughs> and it feels like both political parties have flip-flopped on their original uh, positions from 2016 on this very issue. He's writing to travelers and saying, don't disconnect from your world and say, I'm just on vacation passing through. But don't look for citizenship in this place thinking this is all there is. Invest yourself, build relationships, but understand you are in exile and you're a traveler in this place and you have a kingdom beyond this that you long for. So vote in a way that reflects that. Live in a way that reflects that. And he continues, what's the emotion those exiles might feel? Hear me say, one of pain, one of hurt, one of disconnected. He slams another word in there with this. He says this. He's going to tell us, not only are you in exile, 
but you've actually been chosen and adopted before time by, by the Father to have a special relationship with him. He's going to slam these two ideas together. Here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. To those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He slams this idea from the very get-go of all the things he could talk about. He could have a nice little greeting, just a little warm-up. You know, we're going to get to the deep end of the pool later in the letter. What does he do? From the very get-go of the letter, what does he say? To elect exiles. I want these two verses. I'm just going to read a couple verses and let that idea of being chosen wash over us. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even when he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What's the emotion that washes over us? He's slamming this view of exiles and pain with election and being chosen and the deep confidence that your primary identity isn't just as a traveler of this world, but actually chosen by the Father before the foundations of time. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy to Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, what did you do? What, what brought God to saying, I want to adopt you into my family? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That from the beginning of this letter to a community where his peers are getting martyred and Rome is burning, what does Peter actually want to communicate? He's saying you were elect exiles. And he wants to provide a travel guide on how to live through this life. So Peter continues, you were elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So what is he deepening in his understanding of being chosen? What is he developing in telling us that? I think there's an intimacy. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. What kind of knowledge is that? A fairly intimate. That's a fairly intimate knowledge. Here's what he says in Amos. Hear the word the Lord spoke against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Is God like unaware of all the other families on the earth? Does he not know about all the other families on the earth? There's an intimacy that he's saying in speaking to these elect exiles. There's an intimacy that he's saying God is aware and present with you in these times. And this is a little bit later in 1 Peter. And if you'll allow it, I'm going to put a pin in this. We're going to get to it when we get to verse 18 to 20. We're going to put a pin in this one. But he speaks of that being foreknown. So Peter's saying we are travelers in this world. And we have been chosen and elected and foreknown. And we always keep an eye on our eternal home. Here's what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles... And then he, he gives us three prepositional phrases. I read one of them. According to the foreknowledge, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus. Why? Why does he give us those prepositional phrases? 
What's he trying to tell us? Why include three prepositional phrases? What do they relate to? Does it relate just to elect? Or does it actually relate to everything that came before it? That it actually relates to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It actually relates to all of that. So Peter's saying, know that you've been elected and those things you're going through right now, those circumstances you're in right now, in 920, the year 2020 of our Lord, that's not disconnected from God's foreknowledge. That's not somehow disconnected from God's work. It wasn't just chosen at one point in time, but actually everything you're going through right now, keep in mind your eternal home because God has foreknown everything that's happening even in this moment. Keep your eye on your eternal home. And then he switches gears here. And I had a hard time with this, so I love your thoughts on this. This was challenging for me. What does Peter actually mean when he talks about the Holy Spirit here? Because he says we're travelers in this world, and he links this deep identity being with Jesus, keeping an eye on our eternal home, and then he says you're empowered by the Spirit. Here's what he said in the text. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and southern Wisconsin, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So what's he mean by that? <laughs> what's that mean? In the sanctification of the Spirit. So I felt like my daughter, an idea popped into my, in my mind about how my daughter kind of captures what, Paul, what Peter's telling us about this. So you guys, what happens usually when a cake gets put out in front of kids? Or maybe in front of you. What usually happens? What tends to happen when, when there's a nice cake, a bunch of frosting? We went over to this friend's house for their birthday party, and a cake gets brought out in front of the, in front of the, the, the birthday girl. And my daughter is sitting very close to that cake. What tends to happen when a cake gets brought out and there's a few people in near vicinity of that cake? Someone reaches in and tries to swipe off that frosting. And so what does my daughter do? She just got in there and got a big whip of the frosting. What took place? That piece of cake was actually sanctified for her. It was actually set apart for her. Here's what Peter tells us a little later in the text. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you holy, you also be holy in your conduct. What does it mean to be sanctified in the Spirit? He's saying you've been set apart. That you are a traveler in this world. You are an elect exile and you've been set apart for God's work. Because here's what it feels like sometimes. As we go through this life, you just think you're going to a cubicle. You're actually entering into holy ground where the Spirit of God in an unseen, unheard way is actually enveloping you in that moment in a spiritual atmosphere. You just thought you were making dinner for your family that night. You were actually on holy ground, set apart for the sanctification of the Spirit where God is doing a work in you in this unseen, unheard way by the power of His Spirit. You have been sanctified. You've been set apart in the way you live. 
You no longer are just going to work or going to the park or going to the grocery store. You are actually stepping in to holy ground. So what does he say? You are travelers in this world. View yourself through this identity. This place is not your home. But don't disconnect like a tourist. But don't get invested as if you're looking for citizenship. Instead, you continue to live as an exile, knowing this place is not your home. And you continue to keep an eye on your eternal home, knowing God has foreknown you and called you and chosen you. And we continue to live by the Spirit every moment of every day. And then he continues. I, don't, I want to put both of these ideas up. That we are chosen and empowered for obedience to Jesus. And we continue to receive that ongoing cleansing of Jesus' blood. Here's what he says in the text. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. And again, hear me say, I'm sitting in this going, this is not usually how I talk. This is not language I usually use. Because I understand for obedience of Jesus. Like I can, I can wrap my head around that, right? We've been, we've been, there's a purpose in the foreknowledge of the Father. And there's a means by the Spirit. And there's a goal for the obedience of Jesus. But then Peter does this weird thing. And he tacks on and for the sprinkling with his blood. What does he mean by that? Why does he link those two phrases? Because usually when we hear for the obedience of Jesus... Man, we, we get that, living out. But when we hear for sprinkling with his blood, what's the imagery that usually comes to mind? Where do we usually use that language? Usually about the forgiveness of our sins. Right? And we've been reconciled through the sprinkling of his blood, and we've been ransomed and adopted into him through the cross. Hear me say hallelujah for the forgiveness of sins, right? Here's what John says at the end of his book. John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, right? The sprinkling of his blood, the forgiveness of sins, hallelujah, it is only through the blood that we are saved. But Peter's writing to travelers in this world, giving them a travel guide on how to live. Here's what John says to finish that statement. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That there's a needy and watching world looking for something else that will provide significance. And Peter, from the get-go of his letter, is saying, for the sprinkling of his blood. What does he mean by that? Here's what he says a little bit later in the text. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So what's he saying? How is he linking the sprinkling of the blood and obedience? He's actually saying, it feels like this blood has ransomed from doing these feudal ways into now doing this life-giving life with Jesus. The blood is actually part of the obedience. He's using it in the active lifestyle of us living and going everywhere we go. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Not just justification, one and done, but actually for this ongoing obedience towards Jesus. 
that we were ransomed from our futile ways. You used to find significance and satisfaction in this life, and instead now you're a traveler and you live in accordance with that value set. And I love, Peter's going to do this relentlessly throughout his letter. Here's what he says. He's pointing us, I think, back to Exodus because they did something very, very similar. Moses came and told all the people, all the worlds, that they had just, they had just committed to this covenant. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Naive? Do they think they can do all this? They're committing to this. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and half of the blood and he threw it against the altar. And we're about to see where he's going to put some more blood here. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And what did they say? They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. We will do, we will live this out. And then what does Moses do? And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. That Peter is now tying this Old Testament commitment of following after God. And he's saying, this is now a continuation. We follow in obedience giving up these futile ways, and I actually think, how does this actually get accomplished? He's actually saying through the blood. It's actually not you on your own, but it's actually accompanied because of the work that Jesus did. We will do, we're going to commit, and yet simultaneously the God of the universe is empowering and working through that to happen. So, one last idea here, and this is where Peter ends his beginning of his letter just hitting us with theology from the get-go that we are travelers in this world and elect and chosen, filled with that emotion and comfort that comes with that, keeping an eye on eternity. And then he says, through the power of the Trinity, through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and then empowered for obedience to Jesus. And then he leaves us with these two powerful words of grace and peace and shalom. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and southern Wisconsin, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, being set apart for the work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, not just the forgiveness of sins, but actually as a travel guide as we continue to live in this world, the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That this whole process covered in grace and peace. Not just tack on words, but actually seeing this whole act and work as a part of God's grace in our lives. So here's the challenge. <laughs> here's where I'd want to challenge you. So I remember, I remember a few years ago now, I had these two beautiful girls coming to my life. And, uh, and it came just after we had said goodbye to a sweet little boy. He'd been with us about 10 months. And, uh, and we said goodbye to him, and we got a call from, from the adoption agency, and they said, this was probably a week. I had Casey fact-check me in the first service. This was about a week after. 
And, uh, and they said, hey, we got these two girls that we'd love to send your way. And uh, our response was, man, this just feels too soon. There's no way. That just feels, w- w- we haven't even felt like we've grieved yet. And so there was a process. Casey and I just uh, spent some time praying, reflecting on what these past 10 months had been like. And six months later, we, we decided we were about ready to jump back into this process. And, uh, and the adoption agency said, hey, there's these two girls that are still, that are still uh, looking for a home. And I remember going over to this other family's living room and watching these two girls play. And just being overcome, weeping that, that God would be so good to us that he would bring these two sweet little lives into our home. I just thought I was in a living room. I was actually on holy ground. That I actually thought I was just going in my plan and my agenda to a living room to adopt two little girls. And God actually said six months ago, David, you weren't ready for what I was going to bring into your life to continue to sanctify you and set you apart for the work that I'm doing in your life. Six months later, David, I'm going to bring that back into your life. This week, I don't know what's on your plate. That when you go into the cubicle, when you go to the grocery store, Peter is calling us to wake up and say there's more going on than just us walking into the grocery store. There's more going on than us just making dinner or being in the cubicle. So here's my challenge. Grab a post-it note this week. Go to Walmart. If you don't have one sitting in your living room somewhere, go to Walmart, grab a post-it note. I'd love 15 of you, 15 of you to actually write on that post-it note, are you awake? God, we know you're here. God, we believe in you. We trust you. God, I know I'm broken, I'm hurting, and and you are perfect, and you are sustaining me. What do you have for me to do? To actually pray that and have that post-it note posted somewhere in your bathroom so when you see it, actually believe that the God of the universe is present and working in your life. As you travel through this world as an elect exile, Peter wants to give us this confidence to wake up, to see the Spirit of God working all around, comforted, foreknown by the Father for the obedience of Jesus to a needy and watching world. So pray with me, and I can't wait to share stories next week of how that turned out. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. The radical transformation you are working out by your spirit in the places we go, in the places we live. May we be more fully awake to all that you're doing all around us for our set-apart sanctification process, for the obedience to your son, knowing that you have not left us. Help us see you a little bit more fully, a little bit more clearly this week. For your glory we pray. Amen.